and we are going to read a further short section, verses 13 to 16. I think we'll pick up indeed at verse 11 to follow through on the continuity of the great apostle's theme, verses 11 through 16 then. It was he, that is, the Lord Jesus Christ, who we saw was risen and ascended to a place of glory. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each does its work. Thus far, once more, the holy and the inspired word of God. Thanks be to him. Now, as many of you are aware, we have been looking for a number of Sunday evenings at the great teaching of the Apostle Paul in the fourth chapter of the book of the Ephesians in course of our lengthy expositions through this great part of the New Testament. And we have seen that in the opening verses of this great chapter, the Apostle has introduced us to three great themes that are the mark of a true Christian life and experience. Uh, you will remember that these three marks are, first of all, humility, which the Apostle has dealt with in verses 1 and 2 of this chapter as the first and leading characteristic of a true Christian life and experience. The second mark was unity, which he dealt with in verses 3 to 6 of this great chapter, as believers are being led to live in the unity of the Spirit and to seek that life in the unity of the Spirit with all their energy. And the third great mark, upon which we have spent four Sunday evenings already, is the mark of spiritual maturity in verses 7 through 16. And indeed, this evening will be the fourth exposition upon this great theme of maturity in the Christian life. Now, a number of you will remember that two Sunday evenings ago, before my vacation, we looked at verses 11 through 12 in this connection with the theme of maturity. And we saw there, as you cast your eye over those verses 11 and 12 again, the great list of gifts that the Apostle has given us there. The gifts of ministry in the Christian church through which the church is to reach spiritual maturity. 
the gifts, for instance, of apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers, all of them, we noticed, engaged in the great work of communicating the word of God. It is through ministry, preeminently, that God's saints and people grow into maturity. And our Lord has established the means then by which we are to grow into him. Now we've arrived this evening then at the further exposition of this great theme of spiritual maturity in verses 13 through 16. And what I want to do tonight is to take a preliminary look at this great section. Its riches are such that they spill out to the left hand and to the right hand. And as you read those verses with me this evening, I trust you had at least the beginning of that sense of wonderment at what the apostle is delivering to us. There is wealth here. There is immense riches. There are vital teachings that we are to grasp together in order that we may bear in our own lives more and more the third great mark of being a new creation in Christ Jesus, a new man or woman in Christ, the mark of growing up into him in the sense of achieving spiritual maturity in Christ. Now, there are two things, then, that I want to do with you this evening as we take, as it were, an overview of these verses to see the direction in which the Apostle is moving our thinking and hopefully moving our experience. The first is to look at the goal which he defines, and that is stated in verse 13. And the second thing is to look at the result of attaining that goal. And that takes us on to verses 14 and 15 in particular. Now, we need to remember then, as we come to these two themes this evening, that when the apostle is speaking of the building up of the church as the body of Christ, its growth, in other words, into maturity, he's not thinking of numerical growth at all, but he's thinking of the attainment of spiritual growth. Now I want you to understand me again that I'm not despising in any sense numerical growth. It is important in its time and place. But you see, the third mark of a true Christian life and a true Christian church is not necessarily numerical growth. That is in the providence of God to give or to withhold but it is in the mark of attainment to spiritual growth. And that is the theme, as we have seen, that the Apostle has in mind in these great and glorious verses at which we're beginning then to look this evening. Now then, the first thing is the goal defined in verse 13. Would you read it again with me in your own Bible and we, as you notice, use the New International Version in this congregation. The Apostle says, Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, 
What the Apostle then is telling us here in connection with this great theme of maturity is quite simply that the goal is that we grow into Christ. The church is the body of the Lord Jesus, as we have seen in verse 12. And the great goal of our Lord's continuing ministry from the glory is this incredible picture of the church ripening out and being filled and growing in conformity with its Lord and Master. Now it's an astonishing picture, I suggest to you, this evening in verse 13, an incredible picture that is before us. We've seen the Lord Jesus ascended in the earlier verses of this passage into a position of glory and great power. We've seen the question, in a sense, posed by the great apostle to us. What is he doing there in the glory on behalf of his church? And we've seen the answer to that question that he is seated in the glory at the right hand of God his Father in order that he may pour out gifts upon his church. What are those gifts? Well, they are preeminently the gifts of the teaching ministry of the church, the work of the apostles and the prophets unique to New Testament times, as we saw, the continuing work of pastors and teachers in order that the beautiful spiritual maturity that our risen Lord longs to see in his people might be accomplished. Now that's the picture, do you understand, in verse 13. Until we reach that glorious end and goal of the Christian life, the Lord is continuing to pour out gifts of service and preeminently gifts of teaching upon his people. Now, if you look at verse 13 with me, the very word reach, or in the King James Version, until we come to, is a special Greek word meaning arrive at, with the sense, you see, of reaching a destination or a goal. Our Lord's ministry to the church then is not purposeless, but has that great and exalted purpose that he looks to the end of what he wants to achieve, which is the church conforming to his own perfect image and example. And the very word till or until in verse 13 expresses the period during which those ministries of teaching will function and last until they have accomplished their task. And the repetitive words to and to and to, to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to the stature of a complete man in Christ, they all emphasize, you see, the goal to which the ascended Lord is pointing his church. Now, when you consider other scriptures, and we've no great time this evening to do so, this verse, this goal for the church of spiritual maturity is confirmed in so many other places. You see, alas, 
The modern evangelical church today has so often forgotten the great goal of the Christian life and of our Lord's redemptive purposes. And it looks to the development of certain gifts in Christians or certain service that we can render to him and so forth. But wherever you look in the New Testament scripture, you find that the great and real aim of God calling and choosing a people to himself is that they might be conformed to Christ. That the end might be of spiritual growth into marvelous, well-rounded maturity in him. Now you see the reason why the modern church has moved away from this scriptural emphasis is that there's nothing particularly glamorous about it in one sense. It's a costly thing, as we saw this morning in studying Genesis 22 in the life of Abraham, where Abraham was required to conform more and more in obedience and trust to the living God, giving to the Lord the most precious thing that he possessed his own son, his dear son Isaac, in order that he might grow into a fullness and ripeness of maturity in his faith in the Lord. And everywhere, as I say in the New Testament, you have that emphasis in Romans 8, for instance, where Paul speaks of God's calling of us, having predestined us, the purpose is to be conformed, says Paul, to the image of Christ. And in this passage, as we see in Ephesians 4, it's the theme of this great section. And in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, we find it again, as we do frequently in the epistles of Paul, that we are being transformed, he says, into his likeness. That is Christ's likeness by the Spirit who indwells us. It's as though the efforts of the entire Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are alike designed to bring us into spiritual growth and maturity. And you see, the grandest thing, beloved, about any congregation of God's people is precisely this, that the pastor looking down upon them Sunday morning, Sunday evenings, can see men and women of God who are growing in grace and beautifying the church of God by their well-rounded and mature godliness. That is the glory in the end of a true and biblical church. Not the numbers who attend it, not the gifts even that are possessed by the body, and they may be very considerable. But the great aim of the Lord being fulfilled, that his people are ripening into a fullness of spiritual growth into maturity. Now as we leave this point, the obvious application is this that if growth in that sense is the Lord's great aim for his people in the light of verse 13, his great disappointment, the thing, in other words, that breaks the heart of God, you see, is when his people refuse to grow up into Christ. 
And I think I mentioned to you in passing in the last exposition in this passage of an experience of a colleague of mine in the ministry in Scotland who was serving in a congregation in the city of Glasgow who was once called upon to visit the daughter of a member of that congregation and he went into a psychiatric ward of a hospital and found there a 40-year-old woman sitting on the floor playing with a child's toys, acting as an infant. And I remember my friend saying to me what he felt was the tragedy of that situation. He said to me, you know, if I had gone in and seen a four-year-old or a seven-year-old sitting there, I would have thought nothing of it. But to see a 40-year-old sitting there, it was a tragedy of the deepest dimension. And you see, that illustrates what is possible, alas, in the spiritual realm as well. So many of God's people, it seems to me, are persistent spiritual babies because they refuse to grow up into Christ and to realize that the third great mark of a living faith in him is this. Am I growing in godliness and conformity? to my Savior, or am I still where I was years ago? And you see, in the end, what it amounts to, beloved, is this. If you show me a mature Christian, one who is growing, I will say to you immediately, that person has been under the ministry of God's word in some substantial sense. Because that's what it takes to grow into maturity. And the words of John Calvin are very appropriate on this passage. He says, Paul could not exalt more highly the ministry of God's word than by attributing to it this effect. In other words, that it enables us to grow. For what higher work, says Calvin, can there be than to build the church that it may reach perfection? They are therefore insane, who neglecting this means, hope to be perfect in Christ. As with the fanatics who pretend revelation of spirits, and the proud who content themselves with the private reading of the scriptures, and imagine that they do not need the preaching ministry of the church. And Calvin goes on to say with great perception, if Christ has appointed the ministry for the edifying of his body, it is in vain to expect that end to be accomplished in any other way. You see, it's not an automatic thing. People can sit alas, under the ministry of God's word, and be unchanged, and even be hardened by it, rather than being led into the glorious experience of growth into conformity to Christ. Where are you, I wonder, this evening in, in the light of the goal that the Lord Jesus has set before us in verse 13? Now we move on then to the second point this evening, which is the result 
of attaining that growth. And we turn now to verses 14 and 15 in particular. Now, if you look at those verses with me in your Bible, you notice immediately that the apostle sets forth the effects of spiritual growth, both negatively in verse 14 and uh, more positively in verses 13 and 15. And I'm going to deal with the negative first. So if you look with me at verse 14 for a moment and see what he says, what is the result of attaining spiritual growth? Well, negatively, there are two things, do you notice, that happen to the Christian. First of all, in verse 14, we are no longer children or infants. Then we will be no longer infants says the Apostle, and the word in the King James Version is children. I think infants is preferable because, as we'll see in a moment, the Apostle's emphasis is upon their lack of discernment and their inability, really, to be mature in any sense. So negatively, you see, when we sit under the ministry of the Word, when we receive and value the gifts that God and the Lord Jesus have given for the building up of the body of Christ. We are no longer children or infants. Now what is the apostle saying? Well obviously the contrast is in regard to verse 13 where you remember the apostle ended with the picture of the perfect man that we grow in conformity to the Lord Jesus Christ. But in contrast to that picture of perfect growth into spiritual maturity, where men and women look at us and they see more and more of Christ in us, rather people look at us and they see spiritual immaturity, childishness, infancy. And that is a tragic thing. So evidently, you see, there are degrees of spiritual growth as there are degrees of physical growth. And it's delightful, of course, to see the marks of babyhood in a baby. But it's tragic, as I said a moment ago, to see the marks of infancy or babyhood in a grown-up person. And if you see that in the physical realm, as we do in our psychiatric wards, alas, very frequently, we look at that person and we say there's something fundamentally wrong there. It shouldn't be. It's a tragedy. And just therefore, in the spiritual realm as it is, delightful to see the marks of spiritual babyhood when someone is a spiritual babe in Christ. So it is tragic when those marks of infancy have persisted into adulthood. And that's what we need to grasp this evening. Paul's great concern, you see, our Lord's great concern for his church, is that we have stages of spiritual growth, that we are no longer children, tossed about, as he goes on to say, by every changing wind of doctrine and so forth. But there is a stability, a maturity, an awareness of right from wrong doctrinally, 
a growth both doctrinally and in terms of morality into the things of God. His concern is that we grow up. Now, the second negative thing, do you notice, is the doctrinal instability I mentioned a moment ago, that we should no longer, in verse 14, be tossed back and forth, the apostle says, on every wave of changing doctrine and so forth. Now what he's emphasizing here, you see, is that particularly the mark of immaturity and spiritual babyhood is the lack of discernment in God's people. And it's a perfect parallel because the mark of infancy or childhood, among other things, is the child's inability to discriminate. You see it very early on that a child has to be watched constantly by its mother once it becomes mobile, lest it goes over and thrusts its hand into a hot fire or onto a hot plate or whatever it is. A child has not yet learned to discriminate and distinguish between that which is good and that which is harmful. And the apostle reminds us that there are attacks upon our position as Christians by men who are characterized as men of slate of hand and craftiness. And we're going to see next Sunday evening that these terms in the original Greek refer to dice throwing, that here are men and women around the church today who will brook at nothing, who will have a readiness to do anything to turn the Christian aside from his Lord and Master, practicing slate of hand and cunning craftiness so that it's easy for the Christian to be deceived and deluded. And if he is in a position of immaturity, lacking discernment, that is what will happen, beloved. He is never settled in the truth of God. He's never put down roots into the mass of God's word, but is bearing rather the marks of spiritual childishness. He cannot sit down and think through an issue for himself, but is carried away by every changing wind of novelty. Now what's your position this evening? Are you a child? In contrast to being the perfect man of verse 13, are you conscious of being tossed about and carried away by every wind of doctrine? The picture is that of a ship helpless before the winds and waves on a tumultuous storm-tossed sea. There's instability there, helplessness. As you're carried to and fro on the shifting currents of false teaching, well, are you there or are you conscious in your life that roots are going down into the word of God and you're bearing fruit upwards into maturity and you're leaving these things behind. The result of the attainment of growth negatively, no longer infants, no longer doctrinally unstable. Now positively, and we finish with this note this evening, the result of its attainment positively, harking back to verse 13, lies in three areas, and I only touch on them this evening. Do you notice that the apostle says that if we are growing into maturity, there is in our lives the mark of unity in the faith? Verse 13a. 
And undoubtedly, I think what the apostle means here when he mentions the faith is the body of the doctrine. It's not in my personal faith in Christ, my saving faith, but it's unity that we are achieving in our understanding of the body of doctrine to which the church is committed. So you see, the mark positively, and first of all, of spiritual maturity is that we are no longer doctrinally unstable. There's no instability there that once there was. But we are growing in our conviction of God's truth, and we are sharing in the unity of that body of doctrine to which Christians are committed. Now, what does this say in simple terms? Beloved, growth in understanding. That's what's important. And it leads increasingly to unity together in the body. And I trust that's what we're experiencing here in Westminster. That the pulpit ministrations are not in vain. The careful, painstaking exposition of God's word is bearing that fruit in your life this evening. That you are growing in understanding of the Christian faith. Because to be untaught is equivalent to being unstable, according to New Testament teaching. Now what a glorious truth that is for us to grasp, that the mark of maturity is increasing sure-footedness in the things of God. You're able to come to a passage of Scripture and see by comparing one part of Scripture with another how this difficult verse and this difficult instance of God's dealing with his people is properly to be understood. And you're no longer carried away, as Paul said, by every changing wind of doctrine. So our growth must be marked by deep concern for the truth of God and the truth of the gospel. But the second positive mark in verse 13b is that we come, says Paul, to unity in the knowledge of God. And we attain that knowledge of the Son of God that is pleasing indeed to our Lord. Now what does Paul mean here briefly? Well, it's not academic knowledge. It's deep, personal, experiential acquaintance with Christ. And it's helpful to remember that very often when the biblical word know is used or implied, uh, as here in the word knowledge, it's of that same intimacy that there is between a husband and a wife. And so unquestionably here, to attain to the knowledge of the Son of God is not intellectual and academic, but experiential in the deepest and highest sense. And it's the second feature, positively, of growing into maturity. Is that where we are this evening? Because you see, under this ministry, it is your pastor's great hope for us all, myself included, that the teaching of God's word will lead us not only into doctrinal correctness, which is very important, but above all, into experiential acquaintance with Christ in a new way. 
You see, ultimately, that's the great end of the Christian life, is not to know doctrine, but to know Christ. And that's what leads into an increasing, deep fellowship among God's people, as we are a people committed to urging one another to go on to know the Lord more fully. And then there's the third mark, not only the unity of the faith and the growing experiential knowledge of Christ, but growth into likeness to him at the end of verse 13, unto a perfect man, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Well, you see, in the end, what is true spiritual manhood and womanhood? What is true growth into maturity? What characterizes a man or a woman who has arrived substantially at the point of being a mature man or woman of God? Well, the answer is simply, from verse 13 at the end, that more and more of Christ is being seen in us. And you see, this is not a vague and general thing. It's the result of deep acquaintance with the teaching of Scripture and communion with the Lord Jesus, where I've come over a period of years, for instance, to read the Gospels that tell us of the life of Christ. And I've said to myself, with increasing urgency, I realize, Lord, that's what you want me to be like. Like my Lord, like my Master. Or as we said in Genesis 22 this morning, the growth into absolute obedience and trust and personal acquaintance with the Lord whom we love and serve. Now that's what we should be looking for ultimately in one another that makes us more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ and manifests the great graces that we see in their fullness only in him, a perfect man, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Well, as I finish, let me say this. Is that where our efforts and energies are being applied, beloved, in living the Christian life? Or are we out here and out there seeking new experiences and greater gifts or greater prominence in the church? No, no. God's concern, beloved, is with a deep and inward work in your life this evening. It's a kind of spiritual bodybuilding. And when I drove for many Sundays for several years down to minister to you in this congregation, I passed a gymnasium that is no longer functioning. And even on the Lord's Day, it amazed me the number of cars that were parked outside and the men and women dressed in their clothes appropriate to physical exercise who were gathering to go in or talking as they came out because they were interested in physical bodybuilding. Alas, even on the Lord's Day. What we should be concerned with is something far more vital spiritual bodybuilding in Christ because he died for this and he's living in the glory for this and the goal he has set before him is this 
the beautiful spiritual maturity he longs to see in his people within the church. Do you desire to grow this evening? Do you have a holy dissatisfaction with where you are? Is it your desire to be conformed more and more to the perfect man, the measure of the fullness of Christ himself? May it be so for his glory, for the sake of a needy world, and for the day of our Lord's glorious appearing when we shall make answer finally to him. Let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful this evening for the goal being defined of Christian growth for us and the result of its attainment being set out both negatively and positively for our instruction. Help us, O Lord, not merely this evening to be hearers of this word, but above all by thy grace to be doers of it in our daily lives. For Christ's sake we pray, amen.